Shalom, thank you Rabbi Shayamar. The one lethal mistake that was made when they invited me to speak was they didn't give me a time frame. So I just figured what we're gonna do, a little lecture style, that's what they wrote down. As Rabbi Amar mentioned, that we're now celebrating the 30th cycle of learning Rambam. And actually this year is a very special year because the two cycles are both meeting. We have the three chapters a year finishing together with the one chapter a year. So it's a very special seum that happens every three years. And what I chose to speak about is Mashiach in times of exile. And I want to share with you what I mean with that. Mashiach in times of exile, I'm talking about how can we connect with Mashiach in times of exile, as you will soon see. First, I want to say as follows that the Rambam on his grave in gravesite in uh, Tveria in Israel, and how he got to Tveria is very interesting, because as you know, he, left the, he lived in Egypt. He actually used to sign his name, Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon, who commits three sins every day. And one of the three sins that he was referring to was that there's a verse in the Torah that says that we're not allowed to live in Egypt no more. But he actually lived in Egypt. And what happened was that when he passed away, he told his students that you'll just take a wagon that'll be with two animals driving it and just follow it. And wherever it stops, that's where I'm supposed to be buried. And the wagon actually went from where he lived all the way into Tveria. And when it stopped, they realized that that's where he was meant to be buried. And if you go there, you'll see the words engraved, Mimoshe ad Moshe lokam Moshe, and you saw it on the poster that the Bachorim made. What is the word Mimoshe ad Moshe lokam Moshe? It means from Moses, which means Moses in the times of Egypt, until Moses, the son of Maiman, Rambam's name was Rabbi Moshe ben Maiman. From Moses, until Moses, there's none like Moses. And did I ever question that? We don't normally speak that way. We're not the people that should be categorizing which rabbi is big, which rabbi is small. That's for the presidents of the synagogues to do, not for the rest of us. So the Rebbe questioned, what, Moshe, 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 what's about the other great Moshe's? And the Rebbe explained that what they mean is a specific issue which Rabbi Amar mentioned a moment ago, that the only two Jewish leaders in the history of our people that taught the entire Torah was Moshe Rabbeinu when he gave us the Chumash and we're taught that he gave over to Joshua all the oral law that went with it. And then came along Maimonides and he is the only one, the only codifier that wrote a book which covers the entire details of all 613 mitzvot. There's no one else in the history of our people that did that. And that's what we mean in Moshe ad Moshe lokam ke Moshe, because only these two Moshe's did that. Maimonides went so far as to write in his introduction words which were very controversial at the time. Very controversial. In the beginning when Maimonides wrote his books, it was very controversial. He quoted Aristotle, Aristotle, that was unheard of. So there was a lot of issues going on. One of the issues that was going on was how he dared to write in his introduction that if you learn the five books of Moses and then you learn my 14 books, you know the entire Torah. You don't need to learn any other book. But that's how far 
he went in saying that his magnum opus, the Mishneh Torah, covers the entire Torah. Now in the world of Kabbalah and Hasidus, there's a very interesting teaching. Normally, when you talk about the ending of a book, most writers, they get the heart and the, the guts of their book into the center of the book, and they want to finish something romantic, as, uh, and they walked off into the sunset and lived happily after ever. It's an ending. You look for an ending. In Kabbalah and Hasidus, it doesn't work that way. In Kabbalah and Hasidus, it says that the siyum of any book of Torah is the completion. It is the climax. It is everything that we're leading to. And in the siyum, you have to be able to capture the entire book. So the fact that Maimonides finishes his entire book, which he says is called HaTorah Kula, the entire Torah, he finishes with the laws of Mashiach, which tells us that the fulfillment and the culmination, the completion of the entire 600 Torah mitzvot is Mashiach. Which is why, my friends, for those of you who know the 13 Animamins, Maimonides clearly says, I believe in entire Torah. I believe in the entire Torah. I keep kosher, I keep Shabbos, I believe in angels, I believe in everything. But this Mashiach bit, it just doesn't work well with me. So I don't believe in Mashiach. Maimonides says that's not a minor detail. If you decided that you're not into wearing a wig or you're not into wearing tefillin, that's not the entire Torah. But if you say, I believe in the entire Torah and I don't believe in Mashiach, you're missing a biggie. It's almost as saying, well, I'll do the mitzvot, but I'm not sure I believe in God. That's how serious it is. It's one of the 13 big animamins. So the culmination, it's not just a big fundamental thing, but understanding that entire Torah mitzvot comes to one destination. What is that destination? Mashiach. Truth be said, it's explained. That when you have the mitzvot, we say in our prayers that we want Mashiach to come. Why? Because then we'll be able to do ki mitzvah ritzonecha. When will, we, when will we be able to do mitzvah the way it was really meant to be done? It's only when Mashiach comes. For two reasons. Number one, we as humans are not pure. We have the struggle between the two sides of our heart. We have the struggle between the mind and the heart. We're in the middle of davening and we're already looking at our text message. It's not that easy. We as people are not ready to do mitzvot completely. And second of all, the world isn't ready for it. There's concealment. There's helem. There's negativity. If we have to sit and daven and worry about what's going on in Iran, then the world is not allowing us to sit and learn without any worries. It's not allowing us to do mitzvot the way it's supposed to be done. But when Mashiach comes, and then there'll be peace, and then people won't be jealous of each other, and we won't be backstabbing each other, and we won't be trying to rob business from each other, then we'll have mitzvah tritzonecha. So when Mashiach comes, it's the fulfillment of all 613 mitzvot. The same thing with learning Torah. What does the Rambam finish with? He says that when Mashiach comes, we won't have to teach each other. Because kulam yodimoti, everyone will know God. God won't be hiding no more. Today, God is clearly hiding. 
He says he's hiding. But when Mashiach comes, it'll be the knowledge of God will be so filled that each one of us that struggle with understanding something about the Torah, then it'll come in fulfillment. It'll be just like the waters cover the ocean bed, the knowledge of God will cover all of us. We'll all be like fish living within the water. It'll be our natural consciousness. So that makes us understand that obviously the 613 mitzvot, the entire Torah, is coming to one point when the human being will not have any jealousy, any problems, will be able to spend our entire being of becoming one with God through our knowledge and through our actions. What I want to share with you here is the Rebbe of Blessed Memory in 1951 delivered the first Ma'amar. And when the Rebbe delivered the first Ma'amar, the Rebbe did something unprecedented to any Jewish leader from the time of Abraham until the Rebbe's time. There was never a Jewish leader in the history of our people that made a declaration. I am giving you my mission statement. I am telling you what we are going to do and nothing less than that. And you can all learn it. It's on Chabad.org. It's printed in English. For those who speak French, I also think it's been done in French by Chabad in France. The first Mamav the Rebbe, he clearly states that because we are the seventh generation of Chabad teaching, and just like Moses was the seventh generation of Avram, Moses built the Bet HaMikdash in the desert, and the Rebbe made a statement, which is unbelievable. The Rebbe said, our generation is going to bring Mashiach. I don't know of any Jewish leader who pronounced that that is his mission statement. The Rebbe has clearly put himself in a position that we are being measured if we succeeded or didn't succeed, not by some spiritual oasis, practically speaking. Is Mashiach here or not? That is our mission statement. That is unprecedented. And when I sat down to think about this, I asked myself, how exactly does the Rebbe take upon himself such a mission statement? What would be the biggest obstacle for the Rebbe to bring Mashiach? And how would the Rebbe overcome that obstacle? You see, a lot of teachers, I was in the education department, a lot of teachers hate having a planner book because then there's, everything is very clear. It's almost the way, forgive me dear women, most wives hate a budget because the number is right there. Did you stick to it or didn't you stick to it? It's not episafabrengen. It's clear, the lines are clear. When the Rebbe made such a statement, he didn't leave any question marks, he didn't leave room for interpretation, he wants to be marked by one goal. Did we or did we not bring Mashiach? As of right now, the goal has not been reached. So what is the obstacle? So let's go back and look in the history. Let's look in the Torah and see what does Moses say the first time that any Jew was told by God, it's time to redeem my people. Take my people out of exile. 
It's been four generations. I promised Abraham four generations are going to be suffering, and then I'm going to take them out with wealth and freedom and everything. Imagine Moshe Rabbeinu is minding his own business. He's actually chasing one of his sheep that ran away. He sees a burning bush, and God starts talking to him and tells him, go to Egypt. Take my people out. What was Moshe Rabbeinu's first reaction? Interesting enough, it's in the Pasuk. He didn't say, Pharaoh, God, Pharaoh's a big guy. God, do you remember that I ran away from him because you wanted to kill me the first time? That wasn't his concern. He wasn't worried about Pharaoh. He wasn't worried about the Egyptians. He wasn't worried about how we're going to get 600,000 just men. And at the time, actually, it was, you know, the, the verse says that only a fifth of the Jewish people left. So at that time, it wasn't just 3 million. It was actually 15 million. He wasn't worried about how 15 million are going to sneak out of Egypt. He told God, The Jews won't believe me. So far that he actually told God later on, but if the Jews don't believe me, how do you expect Pharaoh to believe me? Moses' struggle was not the world. It wasn't the Egyptians. It was our own people. 210 years, they were robbed of their identity. Halakhically, the Jewish people were considered property. They were slaves. Slave, in the full sense of the word, is where you lose your identity as a human. You became property. How can a person, 210 years, lost his entire identity, an absolute slave, and what does Hashem tell Moshe Rabbeinu? Tell them it's time to leave. What did happen, people? What did happen in the story? So you look in Chumash, the second parasha of Shemot, and what does it say? It says clearly, and God spoke, and Moses spoke to the Jewish people, and the Jewish people did not listen to him. From shortness of breath, by the way, I have a Chabad colleague. He actually gives a whole yoga class just on this verse. Because Rashi clearly says that when a person is stressed and broken, he has shortness of breath. Yoga is all about breathing technique. It says clearly that's the nature of a human being. So you have kotzer ruach and avodah kasha, and they cannot hear what Moses says. Moses is facing his greatest struggle. The Rebbe, the Rebbe in 1951, when the Rebbe made that statement that the time has come, we're bringing Mashiach, the Rebbe faces the exact same challenge. How do you tell a nation that for 2,000 years lived in exile, persecuted, go through the Jewish history, the Inquisition, all the way to Stalin, the Holocaust. It doesn't end. Jewish people are survivors. Redemption is not about surviving. Exile is. People who are free people, who have the taste of liberty, the word survive is not in their dictionary. Survive is for persecuted people. It's for people in exile. So here the Rebbe has a challenge to take people who are 2,000 years in exile 
And then on top of 2,000 years in exile, 1951 was just right after the Holocaust. How do you take a people whose identity was numbers and tell them it's time, we're a free people? That is the challenge we're going to talk about tonight. Not only that, I personally, together with Rabbi Shayamar, stood at many Fabrengans and heard the Rebbe say, the job is done, the world is ready, all that's left is to prepare ourselves. The Rebbe clearly said that, more than once. And the Rebbe explained, what does it mean to prepare ourselves? The Rebbe translated, it means to live with Mashiach. How does one live with Mashiach? It means to take your state of mind and stop being codependent, stop being stuck in slavery, stop with the word I can't, but, and live in that total state of freedom that the first thing we're taught in Chumash, Bereshit, Bet Reshit, God created the world for two things that are called Reshit, the Jew and the Torah. So anytime you're thinking of telling the rabbi, but I can't not work on Shabbat, I won't make it. That is absolute exile. How can a free person who really believes that God created the world for the Jew to keep the Torah, how does that believe that the world told you you can't keep the Torah? But I can't study Torah. Did you see the economy, Rabbi? There's no way I can get home on time. And Shabbat? I got to sleep Shabbat for seven days of worrying. That is galut. And then when you watch the Rebbe's videos, which we're going to talk about in a moment, you hear the Rebbe talking to people, it's a whole different language. Freedom, liberty, Torah, being your own person, that is reality. Everything else is a dream. I was actually by Fabrengian where the Rebbe said that people think that we are in reality. Mashiach is a dream. We say every Shabbat and Chag before our Birkat Amazon, as then when Mashiach comes, we're going to say, Hayinu Kichomim. We were dreamers in exile. Anyone that thinks that exile is reality and Mashiach is a dream, that's the struggle the Rebbe has. And when I say the word anybody, let me not be misleading anyone. I'm talking about myself. The facts on the table, my accountant and my doctor, that's what I believe is reality. Mashiach, I believe in it. Abstract, not eternally. Not eternally, I don't believe it in my heart. And the biggest test is very simple. Smidit, would you give me $10,000 till Mashiach comes? He's coming right now. Ah. <laughs> it's easy to say, Anim Amin. Sheyavo. <laughs> Are we serious? That was the Rebbe's challenge. The plot actually thickens. Moses had it easy. What is the difference between the Jews leaving Egypt, Pesach, the story, and what is the difference between that and Moshiach? And the answer is very simple. 
By Egypt, Moses had a job. Take the Jew out of exile. For Mashiach, Mashiach has a different job. Mashiach's job is to take exile out of the Jew. We're taught that exile, the word for exile is gola. Gimovav, lam, and hey. The word for redemption is geula. It's the same letters with an extra aleph. What is the aleph? Echad. Echad. God is aleph. God is one. When we bring the aleph into gola, we turn it into geula. So we have a problem. You see, Moses just needed one thing. If you read the holy books, you'll see that Moses needed just one thing. Moses needed the Jews to get out of their own way. That's all. That's not what Mashiach has to do. Because the difference is Moses took the Jews out of exile. Egypt remained Egypt. The Jew came out of exile. And as you know in the story of the Haggadah, that the Jews were still exile mentality. Read the story. They just finished with miracles right, left, and center. And they're fetching to Moshe Rabbeinu. We want to go back to Egypt. Is this what we bargained for? Where's the beach? Where's everything? They were, they were slave mentality. And by the way, the definition of slave mentality is very simple. You don't want to take responsibility and accountability. Some people are workers. Some people are entrepreneurs. The, people, the reason why people like to be workers and not entrepreneurs is only because they don't want to have accountability and responsibility. I want to work 40 hours a week and then I want to go to bed and let my boss break his head. In our own life, we do that all the time. The Talmud says, A slave wants to be ownerless. Actually, that's a horrible translation of that piece of Gemara. Because if you learn the Gemara, what it really means is that a slave doesn't want to have accountability. Doesn't want to have responsibility. If it's a mistake, don't look at me. It was my master. When we as Jews consistently do that, when we want to stay under the radar screen, we don't want to take accountability. We don't want to take responsibility. We have a country in the Middle East, and we're worrying whether we have a right to rise up and protect our own citizens. That's not freedom. That's not freedom at all. So what we're talking about over here is that we need to break the mold, not take the Jew out of exile. Because if you take the Jew out of exile, he's going to end up back in exile. For those of you who ever dabbled with the 12 steps, you ever heard of the concept of a dry drunk? Dry drunk is so undrunk, an alcoholic who could be in sobriety for 20 years, and he's still an alcoholic. He just doesn't drink. Why is he an alcoholic if he doesn't drink? Because he still has what they call in the books thinking thinking. He thinks like an alcoholic. Recovery isn't about drinking or not drinking. Recovery is about changing the way you think. Moses didn't have to do that. Moses just needed to get them out of Egypt. Just get them out of Egypt. God will do the rest. Mashiach has to do a whole different thing. Mashiach has to change it from the inside out. So go convince a people that for 2,000 years were in exile, went through Inquisition, went through Stalin Russia, went through Holocaust, and all of a sudden tell them, time for redemption. We are a free people. Is that possible? There's an interesting ruling in the Talmud that actually says it's impossible. 
The Talmud says, Ein chavish matir et atzmo. You fall into a ditch. You can't get out by yourself. You need someone who's on top to reach down and help you out. If we're talking about there's no ragged rocks, you can't climb up, you're stuck there. If it's a smooth wall, if you just can't get out. You need someone on the outside to take you out. I want to share with you an interesting thing I learned in one of the Rebbe's teachings. The Rebbe asked a simple question. If you look at the Pasuk, the Pasuk says, how many Jews went down to Egypt? When Yaakov came with his family, how many Jews were there? 70. But if you count the names, you don't get 70. You get 69. Do it. Go to Pasha Vayigash, count the names, you're going to have 69. Why? If it says 69, why did the Pasuk say 70? So Rashi tells us in the name of our sages that you should know Moses' mother, whose name was? Yocheved. Sephora was the wife. Whose name was Yocheved, was born as they were entering into Egypt. Never ask why. Why? It would make great for Steven Spielberg, but why did it have to happen that way? We're coming inside, this and that. Eh, mazel tov. And the Rebbe explains why. Because Moses had to take the Jews out of Egypt. Therefore, Moses had to be born to a woman who was from pre-exile. Go back to that Gemara statement. If Moses was born in Egypt, and his mother was born in Egypt, then he's not connected to pre-exile. If you're not connected to pre-exile, then there's no way that you can bring about redemption. And that's the Rebbe's explanation. The same thing is with us. We need to be connected to he who is above exile. Because if all we are is exiled Jews, there's a famous saying, Golus Yidin. If we were born, bred, and molded in exile, how are we ever going to dream of outside of exile? I want to tell you a very interesting thing that they did in preschools. The uh, psychologists did a study. They were proving that no human being can create anything new. So who has the greatest imagination? kids. They went into preschools and they asked the kids to draw a monster, a creation, anything with something new that they never heard of. When you do that to kids, what they usually do is they put three eyes instead of two eyes. No, no, no. Eyes aren't new. I need something new. Come up with a new sense that never existed. Even kids that have absolute infinite power of imagination cannot do that. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Someone who was born and bred in exile cannot fathom what it really means to be free. We really don't know what that means. We don't know what it means to be able to have a country that isn't sanctioned and has to worry about sanctions, have to worry about arms and what America has to say. We don't know what that means. We never had that. We don't know how to fathom that. It's funny. When I was in Venezuela, I have a friend here who just gave me regards from Venezuela, one of the here. It's interesting. When I was in Venezuela, it was a whole fun with Carlos Andres Perez. They had Toca de Queda. Toca de Queda is a curfew. We were 12 American boys. We never heard of a curfew. No one besides our parents ever tried to tell us when we could or can't walk out of our house. So we thought it was a joke. Talk at the Kedahin, talk at the Kedahin, and we were walking the streets taking pictures. 
until a Venezuelan, one of our friends, a Jewish guy told us, you can get arrested, this is not a joke. Someone who stayed in yeshiva, not one of the 12 boys, actually was arrested. It didn't enter our, sc it didn't enter our radar screen. What, what, what do you mean? Why would they arrest me? Because you went out of your house. Well, I didn't do anything illegal. Yes, you did. So just as an American boy, I couldn't even dream what a toka de keda is. Can you imagine as a product of exile, the grandchild of an exile, the great-grandchild of an exile? All my grandparents went through the Holocaust. My grandfather lost his wife and two kids. My grandmother lost a husband and a daughter. And that's what brought me into this world. That's the house I was brought up in. Am I capable of really dreaming of a real redemption? That's the challenge that happens here. And here I want to tell you a very interesting story. Rabshim Bar Yochai. Our sages say Rabshim Bar Yochai never experienced the destruction of the temple. Now for those of you who know the history of Rabshim Bar Yochai, that's a mighty awesome statement. Here's a man that spent many, many years with his son in a cave hiding from the Roman rulers because they were trying to kill him. So this man never experienced exile. You and I that live Baruch Hashem and sleep in a comfortable bed and have kosher restaurants, Chinese, Indian. It's a wonderful state, Florida. You can keep kosher and eat everything you want. We are in exile. Rabshim Bar Yechai in a cave eating carobs and drinking water. He buried himself in sand because he only had one set of clothes. He wasn't in exile. Because Rabshim Bar Yechai, he lived in that definition of freedom and divinity. He lived in a different realm. He really was a free man. He absolutely was a free man. It wasn't within his psyche to accept that he wasn't a free man. My friends, there's a book written about the previous Rebbe when he was arrested. You know what the book is called? I happen to love the title. A Prince in Prison. Do you know why I love that title? Because walk the streets and you're going to see a bunch of prisoners walking the streets. The previous Rebbe in Russia, where he was beaten, he ended up getting MS, had a stroke. He was a prince in prison. And when the Russian guard told the previous Rebbe, we're going to teach you a lesson, the previous Rebbe said, yes, a lesson will be taught, but who to whom? It's a total different mindset. Mashiach, liberty, isn't a joke. It isn't that you won the lottery and now you can think you can do whatever you want. It's every fiber of your body is free. You're free to do what you want. You know what that means, free to do what you want? You know what it means to wake up in the morning and not be tempted to hit the snooze button? You know what it means to be able to go to the gym every day without any excuses because you want to? You know what it means to be able to control your feelings for a person? Not have someone push your buttons? Not have someone control you? That's something we don't understand. Because we aren't free people. We think we're free people. We think if we're a couple of Benjamin Franklins, we're free. No, we're not. The definition of free means that I do what I want, when I want, because it's the right thing to do. I tell my kids all the time, freedom doesn't mean that no one tells you what to do. Freedom means that you have the power to tell yourself what to do and do it, even though you don't want to. We don't digest that. We don't understand what freedom is because we never saw it. We were born to generations and generations and generations of persecution. To quote the Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, the Jewish people are excellent survivors, but we're not great thrivers. 
we self-sabotage ourselves every single time because the worst thing that can happen to us is actually success. Have you ever heard that story about the warrior? Always worrying, worrying, worrying. One morning had nothing what to worry about, so she started worrying about that. <laughs> that's who we are. We, we, that's who we are. We're not free people. So that's the challenge that we have. So now we have a story with Rav Shimon Bar Yochai. I want to tell you an interesting story. If you learned last week's Torah portion, what do we see over there? We had an interesting story how the Jewish people are commanded that they have to build a holy temple. What is one of the primary items that they need to use to build a temple? Is acacia wood. So Rashi quotes the Medrash and says, and where did the Jews get acacia wood in the desert? Where did they do that? Cedar? It's a tree, but acacia is the wood. Atishitim is acacia wood. Is it made out of cedar tree? Okay. Oh, you tell me where it came from. That's the Medrash answer. Correct. The Medrash tells an interesting story. Some say it dates back to Avraham, Vayita Eshel. The Eshel actually was a cedar tree, and he told Yaakov to take it, but Rashi doesn't start but way back there. Rashi starts with Yaakov. Yaakov went and planted in a forest of those trees. And he went and he told, before he died, he told his children and grandchildren that you should know when the time comes that God's going to take you out of Egypt, take these trees with. So the Rebbe has an amazing question. Our sages clearly tell us that the Jewish people in the desert were doing business. Nations from all over the world was coming to do commerce with them. How do you think they got those stones, the exact stones for the breastplate? How do you think they got everything else? They did business. They were selling and buying. It's, it's clearly our sages tell us that. So acacia wood was the problem. Why couldn't they buy that? That's what Yaakov was worried about. Where are they going to get acacia wood? Where are they going to get the Avni Shoham? The Rebbe explains, Yaakov was not worrying about how the Jews are going to build a temple. Yaakov was worrying about how the Jews are going to survive exile. Beaten and broken. Where are they going to take the strength? 210 years is a huge amount of generations. They're going to be kids that don't even remember that the Jews ever were free. All they're going to know is Jews were born to suffer. They were beaten. Babies were cemented in the walls. People were killed, suffering. That's all they're going to know about the Jewish people. By the way, I'm sitting on the committee of March of the Living. One of the things that March of the Living realized was a big mistake for the new generation this new generation doesn't understand when they see pictures of Jews in stripes that look like skeletons. They realize that we have to start the story before the Holocaust. You have to see how these family, this very family that looks now like a skeleton in these pictures, used to be sitting by a table, used to have a business. You can't start the story with the persecution because today's kids don't connect to that. Now the Jews in Egypt were the exact opposite. Moses was talking to a Jewish generation that never remembered not, have to, not having to wear the yellow star. They didn't know that Jews ever were free. They didn't know that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were kings in their time. People treated them like royalty. They didn't see that. They just saw the yellow star. They just know that Jews have to suffer. So Jacob was worried. How do you tell such a child, don't worry, Mashiach's coming. What Mashiach? We never were free, we never will be free. 
Fish don't fly, birds don't swim, and that's just the way it is. We were born to suffer. They didn't know differently. So Jacob planted a forest. Why do you plant a forest? So every night, every night when the Jews come back to home, they pass that forest and they remember. There was a man who was free. He was our grandfather. He planted a tree. He told us that there is going to be a redemption. We will be free. We were free and we will be free. That was the Rebbe's challenge. The Rebbe's challenge is, can he let us know that there was a time where we, we were free people. And if you're free once, you'll be free over, uh, ever. The Baba Sali has an amazing line. The Baba Sali, blessed memory, says that he who was rich will be rich if they don't lose the fight within. And by the way, besides him being a holy man, it's a logical thing. To make it up the first time is difficult. The second time you have connections. You know why people don't make it up a second time? Because they lost the fight within. They lost their freedom. But if Moses can tell the Jews, if Jacob can teach the Jews, don't lose your freedom. You're in prison, you're in exile, but you're a prince in prison. Don't believe them. Don't believe them when they tell you that you are a slave. You're behaving like a slave now because you have no choice. But you are not a slave. That's what Yaakov was telling them. I want to tell you another interesting story. There's a great, great tzaddik, a Rebbe. For a little while he was the Alter Rebbe's Rebbe. His name was Ramendel Vitebske. There was a rumor in Vitebsk all of a sudden that Mashiach's here. It was real. They really thought Mashiach's here. So the Gabe went running to the Rebbe, telling the Rebbe, Ramendel Vitebske, Mashiach's here. Ramendel Vitebske stood up, walked over to the window, opened up the window, stuck his nose up, closed the window, turned around, Mashiach's not here. So they asked the question, if you can smell redemption in the air, why do you have to go to the window? He could have done it in his office. The answer is that just like the Rashbi, that Mendel Vitebske, he lived with Mashiach. His office was free. When people came into his office, they experienced what freedom means, what it means to be yourself, not to be a slave to Yitzhahara, not to be a slave to America's Mishigasin of what you have to have and not have to be a somebody or a nobody. You are free. Because Rabbi Shem Bar Yochai was free, that's why he wrote the Zohar. And what does it say? With this book of Zohar, we will leave the exile because the Zohar comes from a place which was free. And it can teach us how to be free. My time is running up, so I want to share with you two more quick times, the notes. You know, last time I was in this room, I was bringing with you guys about going to the Ohel. I want to share with you something unbelievably. I don't know if you guys ever saw this book, but it's a book called Sefer Ishtachos. And what that book is, it tells you Kabbalistically what it's about to go to the Ohel of a Rebbe. A Rebbe is buried here. The Chassid is going to the burial site. What is that all about? And the book begins, one of the main parts of that book is actually two manuscripts of a very Kabbalistic discourse which is attributed to the second Lubavitcher Rebbe. When you learn those two discourses, you feel unbelievable. Why? 
Because in those two discourses, it talks about how the soul of a Rebbe connects with his chassid when you pray at the gravesite. And when you have that connection that the soul of a Rebbe on high will now empower you when you pray to God, that's a beautiful thing. But after that comes a teaching from the Rebbe. And the teaching from the Rebbe is, is just, doesn't mention a word about Rebbe, connection, chassid, nishama. You know what he says there? He brings a proof, and I'm not going to get into the whole proof. Rabbi Amar, I'm giving you a job to learn with them that sikha. The Rebbe brings a proof that the gravesite of a tzaddik, of a Rebbe, who lives in a different dimension of Mashiach, even though you can't see it, that gravesite is a tunnel that goes straight to the Bet HaMikdash into a different space and time where Mashiach exists. When I first read that, I was so frustrated. I didn't want to hear no tunnels about Mashiach. I wanted to hear that there's a connection, that my Rebbe feels me, my Rebbe hears me. I somehow am going to feel him. That's not what the Rebbe was doing there. The Rebbe says you should know that when you go to the Ohel, you just opened up the door with a tunnel that goes straight from Queens to Yerushalayim, up the mountain. There's no mosque, Mashiach, Bet HaMikdash. But then I realized what the Rebbe is doing here. The Rebbe is telling you that the ultimate job of a Rebbe, just like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, just like Mendel Betepke, just like Moshe Rabbeinu, just like Yaakov planting trees, the ultimate job of a Rebbe is to connect you with your absolute freedom when Mashiach comes. The job of a Rebbe is to let us know that we are free people, free to serve God, free to be ourselves, free to bring Mashiach. Exile has a beginning and an end, and we come before that beginning, and we live after that end. We are free people. We can bring Mashiach. That's why the Ohel, more than anything, is a place where you can connect to that piece of you that really is free, that really isn't afraid if you're driving a car that isn't as fancy as your neighbor's car, or your house isn't as tall as the other's house, and if your dress was bought at this store and that one's suit was bought at that store, there's a place within us that we are beyond that. We transcend. No one judges me, and I don't judge myself in the world of relativity. I am a Jew, I am absolute. I may be in prison, but I'm a prince in prison. I can break out of prison. So I want to share with you, just like the trees, I want to tell you a story that happened. I'm really coming to an end here. <sighs> promises, promises. <laughs> Does this feel like exile? <laughs> I want to tell you what one of my teachers said. One of my teachers told me that heaven and hell is one room and a rabbi is giving a lecture. For some it's heaven and for some it's hell. But anyway, let's just finish this up. Guys, really, five minutes, I'm done. <laughs> I'll share with you something very interesting. And then I'll open up for Q&A. You know, Jacob planted trees. What did the Rebbe do? You know, when Perestroika came, a lot of things were happening then. You remember Perestroika, guys? A lot of things were happening then. Number one, America made a plan in their budget that they were going to take money away from the army and put it into agriculture. What does the prophet say when Mashiach comes, sir? We will turn our swords into plowsheds. Taking money from the army, putting it into agriculture is clearly a manifestation of that prophecy. The wall came down, Soviet Jewry was able to go to where? To Israel. 
That was the fulfillment of the prophecy that God will bring us in peace to Israel. And all of a sudden, the Rebbe started telling us, look, guys, things are happening. See the cedar trees. See the acacia woods. It's really here. They made an ad then in the New York Times. Do you remember that ad? For your time. They made an ad in the New York Times, a full page, that had connected dots. You saw a picture of a hand with a pencil, and it had a dot full of the Berlin Wall. Um, Soviet Jews going to Israel. And the hand was connecting the dots, and what was it spelling? Which word? <laughs> Mashiach. And on top it said, connect the dots. The last question that is here to discuss in closing. How am I supposed to connect with Mashiach? I understand that the Rebbe lives with Mashiach. I understand that Abshim Bayochai lives with Mashiach. I understand that Moses lives with Mashiach. I understand that Menlovatepsky lives with Mashiach. But my name is Avrumi Lipchitz, and I get an FPL bill every single month. And that ain't Mashiach. How do I live with Mashiach? So I want to share with you something interesting. There's a verse in Isaiah. We say it every single time by the holidays when we open up the ark. ruach, And there will be a spirit. Here, let me read you the whole thing. No, let me not read you the whole thing. I promise I'll be short. There will be upon you the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of God, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counselors, and the fear of God. Who is that pasuk talking about in Isaiah? Talking about Mashiach. Comes along the Jerusalem Talmud and says, no, it's not just talking about Mashiach, it's talking about every single Jew. How can I be talking about every single Jew? That spirit only lands on Mashiach, not on me and you. So the Rebbe explains, within you and I, there is a pintalayid. The previous Rebbe said when they took him into prison, they can take our bodies into exile, they can't take our souls into exile. You and I have a little Mashiach in us, the pintalayid. Now the question is, how do we connect with that pintalayid? And that's the job of a Rebbe. When you watch the videos, or any one of you that were blessed to ever stand by the Rebbe, what you felt when you stood by the Rebbe was that that peace in you that has absolute freedom to study Torah, be a good Jew, make it in life, make your parents proud, make everyone proud, make yourself proud, that was real. It would live. I shared with you the last time I stood in this room that when we were single boys, what do we pray for? We prayed for one thing, that I, when I look in the mirror, should see what the Rebbe sees when he looks at me. Because when I look in the mirror, I see a person with a lot of shame and a lot of guilt. That's not what the Rebbe saw when he looked at me. He saw a person with absolute potential and power if he's just willing to rise up to the occasion. That's how you bring Mashiach. So let's close it up practical. Number one, guys. The Zohar, Kabbalah, and Chassidus were all taught by people who did not have exile. If you want to know what Mashiach tastes like, you have to learn Chassidus. It's very simple. Guys, it's very nice to sing Mashiach, Mashiach, Mashiach. That's not real. It's beautiful, but it's not real. It doesn't become internal. We need to learn Chassidus. It's very nice to say, Anim Amin. But put your money where your mouth is. That can only happen when you internalize that I am a free person living in a nightmare and it's time to wake up. If you could learn Hasidis, if you're willing to go to the Ohel every once in a while to see what it means to feel a tunnel into Bet HaMikdash, if you're willing to watch weekly the video 
where you hear the Rebbe talking to people, just empowering them, giving them comfort, letting them know that we are a free people and it's happening now, then Mashiach becomes a reality. Then the Rebbe's goal in 1951 really happens. The Rebbe told us in 1990 that he's not doing it for us. He can't do it for us. I told you, Moses can take the Jews out of exile. We need to take exile out of ourselves, And there's only one way to do it. Connect with those souls. Connect with the teachings that really tell you who you really are, what you really can do. Get on a plane once every couple of months. There's a group that went here. There's a group that went from my shul. Go, go to the Ohel. Stand there and daven and feel what it means to be in a place where you are a perfect human being if you're just willing to shake off the dust. Watch the videos and see how the Rebbe lives and gives people courage. Don't worry. Exile is a dream. Don't fall for it. Can I say one more thing? <laughs> Who here watched Harry Potter? I heard you. I chose to ignore you. If you guys read Harry Potter, which my shul knows about, here's an interesting scene there where there's a bowl, where you stick your head into the bowl and you live in a different time. But when you're in that bowl, it feels so real. Did you ever watch a horror movie? Did you ever watch a movie that's like so, you're at the edge of your seat and some prankster shuts the button and you're like, oh, what'd you do? You're like, whoa, what happened there? I would just, I gotta know, did the guy kill him? He didn't kill him, what, what's gonna happen here? I, I, was, I was rooting for that guy. But all of a sudden you realize, oh my God, I just lost reality. I was living in the virtual world. To me, for a second, Brad Pitt was more real than the guy knocking on my door. We got a problem here. That's what the Rebbe is telling us. Guys, we got caught up. We got caught up in the silver screen. We got caught up in a virtual reality. We actually believe that we're inferior. We actually believe that we can't do it. We actually believe that we can't build a real religious home, a real Torah home. We can't be proud of being Jews. We can't dress the way we want to dress and not the way Paris wants us to dress. We can't eat the way we want to eat. We can't talk the way we want to talk. It's wrong. It's wrong. Pull your head out of the bowl. Shut the TV for a second. You'll see reality. You'll see what the Rebbe sees when he looks at you. You'll be able to look yourself in the eyes when you look at the mirror. Very few people can do that. The Rebbe teaches how to do that. Because when you look in your eyes, you see that verse in Isaiah, we are a free people. People, thank you.